Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also get it on our flagship uh, platform, Podomatic, as well as Spotify, Amazon, and oh, about a half a dozen or so others formats. It's brought to you by Camp Constitution which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And next year's camp is from July 14th to the 19th at the beautiful Singing Hills Christian Camp and uh, Conference Center, Plainfield, New Hampshire. We also have a ladies' retreat as well as a weekend retreat. We haven't uh, put those up on the website as far as their scheduling, but it will be in the spring and the fall. Ladies' retreat in the spring and in the fall will be the family retreat. We also have a lot of uh, a great website with all kinds of wonderful resources for folks to use. So please visit our website, campconstitution.net. Visit our online shop. We have some great books and uh, other items for sale that help uh, keep this show on the air and help uh, fund our mission and a number of things we do. So again, that's campconstitution.net. Visit our YouTube channel, our Facebook page our Rumble channel, and our again, our Podomatic page. Well, I'm going to be discussing a little bit about this terrible shooting that happened in Lewiston, Maine, just about uh, less than two-hour drive from me. Um, somewhat familiar with the city of Lewiston. It was a uh, city that was a mill town in its heyday, and uh, since the, I guess, 70s and 80s, it's uh, sort of gone downhill uh, blue collar, and back in the 90s under George H.W. Bush, they moved in a lot of Somalians, and there's been some issues, obviously, when you take people from one culture, that's a whole lot different from uh, our cult, this culture, there's going to be problems, um, but uh, they, the Somalians weren't responsible for the shooting, I don't want to point that out, I wasn't trying to make that case, it's, you know, when uh, when people... These Americans say, hey, we have something really great for you Somalians. We're going to put you, you live in a semi-arid country or an arid country with a Muslim culture. We're going to put you in Lewiston, Maine, where it's cold nine months out of the year. Isn't that great? And uh, there aren't any jobs in Lewiston, but yes, we're going to put you there anyway. To me, that's uh, the worst thing you can do. And this is another thing, too, what's happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip and the Palestinians. The Muslim, the oil-rich Muslim nations want nothing to do with the uh, folks who live on the Gaza Strip. They don't want to assimilate them. They don't want them in their countries. They don't want them crossing their border. Um, I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but I want to get into this, again, this terrible shooting. Um, So uh, 18 people were killed, uh, murdered was the really right term, not killed, and uh, dozens injured. And I believe the shooter, who was dead, ended up committing suicide. And I'm not sad to hear that. Uh, he was a dangerous man. Uh, but this man was trained by the U.S. government. He was an arms expert. And he was a, um, arm, was a National Guardsman, Army Reserve. I think he was an Army Reservist. And he actually was in charge of the weapons. So it would be kind of hard to uh, take weapons from this man. And... He was checked out of a uh, medical mental facility. He was brought there for observation. He told people he had heard voices. And uh, that should have been a red flag 
no pun intended with these so-called red flag laws they should have not have uh, they should have at least uh, denied him the right to uh, because of his uh, mental abilities or limitations or problems they should have um, not let him be armed uh, so they never did that uh, i know that for example if a, a, a if a wife takes out a restraining order against her husband or ex-husband uh, in most states, the first thing they do is take away that man's guns. Well, he hasn't he hasn't committed a crime. Maybe he's making phone calls. No, again, if there's violent threats of violence, that's one thing. That's that's a crime. But just because he might be making just because she was told by her attorney to take out a straining order, that man loses his right to defend himself uh, with arms. And that's the case of Massachusetts. I'm not sure about other states. So if there was a straining order issued against you, it uh, doesn't matter if you're guilty of anything. It's not a question of guilt. Or and they do have a trial or a hearing. Uh, I had a friend that just went through that and uh, a former girlfriend, and he didn't own any firearms. But thankfully, uh, the, she had a she can't lie under oath or you go to death. It's a felony. And she knew that she was lying, but she ended up, uh, he ended up, he threw the whole, the charge out the, out the door. Uh, threw it out. But in many cases, a restraining order is issued and you lose their right to keep bare arms. And and um, so, uh, but somebody who has mental illness, who has voices telling him to kill people, eh, not to worry about it. So the system that's set up to protect people failed. Now it happens, unfortunately, but I don't know if there was even an attempt to uh, put a check on this fellow, on this man. So he, you know, in Maine, Maine has one of the clo uh, uh, one of the uh, was one of the safest lowest crime rates, and it's one of the safest states in the country per capita. We're not, we're not talking about well, yeah, well, Maine only has a small population compared to New York City. We're looking at per capita, so it's uh, a very large state uh, for the rest of New England. It's you can put all five of the New England states in Maine and still have room. I think it's something like forty thousand square miles, and I'm very familiar with the state. I Live very close to it. I'm there on a regular basis. I love the state. It's what you would call a purple state. It's not a hard left state. It's not a Bible Belt state. But you, um, right now, you have all Democrats that control the governor's office and the House and Senate. Um, it's not a wide majority, but it's a majority. It's um, and they did have a uh, pretty good governor, Governor LePage. And when he was governor, he signed the. Uh, what they call what they call open carry or constitutional carry, where you can, as long as you don't have, as long as you're not a convicted felon or convicted uh, domestic uh, misdemeanor, uh, you can open carry. You can carry a gun, uh, put it on your on your hip. You don't need a permit. Um, now there are some restrictions. For example, if you own a business and you don't want anybody bringing a gun into your business. You might put a sign on the front door saying, you know, this is a gun-free zone. And I understand that if the place serves alcohol, if it's a bar room or a restaurant that serves alcohol or a bowling alley, uh, there's some restrictions. Uh, uh, I've heard I've heard a conflict. I heard some will say you can go in there, but uh, you are, you're you know basically if you get into an incident. You can be liable, and so some people are reluctant to bring weapons into a place where they serve alcohol because they don't want to deal with that. I've heard where you can bring it in anyway, or either way. But so I understand that in the bowling alley, 
and the bar that was shot up, nobody was armed. And that's unusual. But Lewiston is a is a left wing or at least it's controlled by Democrats, even though uh, if you look at a map of the last election, you'll see red everywhere except Portland, um, Augusta, the capital area and Bangor, Maine, maybe. But the rest is red. However, the population lives in Portland, a greater Portland, and it's very left. So so a lot of conservative counties and so forth in the state. It's just that the big city, and there's not really any big cities. Augusta is a small city. Portland is the biggest city, and it's very uh, woke and far left. So they're the ones that kind of control the shots, unfortunately, no pun intended. Um, they control what's going on. But they did pass the open carry law. And people were saying, oh, it's going to be like the Wild West. Oh, it's terrible. And the crime went down, which usually does. And that goes for all of the states that have concealed, I mean, open carry or constitutional carry. Vermont being the first one. I think there are about 26 states. Now, they're trying to tell us that in red states, the crime's so horrible. No, it's not red states. It's blue states in red, blue cities in red states. That's where the crime is. And in fact, and I've discussed this before. But if you were to look at the United States, all 50 states, and if you were to say, well, there are 30,000 30, homicides a year, a lot of those are suicides. They don't add that. A lot of times it's people defending themselves, and other times it's gangbangers shooting other gangbangers. And that's what a lot of the crimes are. And they don't tell you that. And uh, these things are referred to as assault weapons. These are any weapon that you, well, for example, a semi-automatic is simply you pull the trigger, a bullet comes out. An automatic is you pull the trigger and the bullets keep coming out. But anybody who uses an automatic weapon knows you don't just open fire. You do burst, two or three shot burst. Other than that, you uh, you run the risk of uh, overheating the barrel or jamming. And so any good uh, person, any soldier, anybody trained, uh, snipers and or not snipers, but SWAT types. They don't they don't go on to just open fire like you see in Hollywood movies. Just blur off thirty rounds and change and or have a belt, you know, and just continuous fire. It's not how it's done by those who know how to do it. Um, and so anything conceivably be uh, and they use the word assault weapon, and you know that's how you define that. You could take a Ruger 22 and paint it black and put camouflage on it, and it becomes a salt weapon. Ruger 22 is a semi-automatic. And in uh, some states, you have a limited to 10, uh, a 10-round magazine. And as somebody said uh, recently about you know, when it comes, well, you need to have smaller capacity. It only takes you a few seconds to change magazines. You know, uh, yeah, it's probably better to have continuous fire. Uh, but, you know, when you're shooting unarmed people, uh, in a place, a few seconds. Um, it's not going to make, it may make a, a little difference, but not a major difference. And the notion that the ARs and AKs and other semi-automatic weapons are somehow a threat because one person uses it to kill a whole lot of people. So this is the logic, or let's say the illogic behind it. So we'll make the country safe if we take all the way, all the semi-automatic, ban them all, confiscate them it's going to be a safe place it's not going to be it's going to be a more dangerous place in fact let me cite this there was a book that came out by a liberal professor his last name was g-l-i-c-k professor i can't remember his first name 
I sometimes say Larry Click, but there was a very popular talk show host by that name, and it's not him. This was a professor in Florida, and his goal was to prove that less guns mean less crime. And his facts, the, the facts made the difference. He actually looked at the facts, and he made the case where there was how many times a gun is used to defend a life versus to take a life. And I don't know the exact ratio, but it's staggering. And just the thought of an armed of an armed person living in a house or walking, uh, someone who's concealed or has open carry, you can't measure the crimes that aren't committed, but you would see states where they have a lot of firearms and open carry laws, constitutional carry laws, and the crime rate's low. But you can't measure things that don't happen. But I, I, I dare say that because of the open carry or the threat or the possibility of that person being armed, a criminal might be less likely to take action. I think it makes it kind of sense. Some criminals are bad, but they're not all, and they may not be all geniuses, but they're not idiots either. Um, now, I know that uh, the church that I attend, uh, there are protocols, and it's not, you don't go in there thinking it's an armed camp, but I know that all of these, uh, most of these shooters do a lot of uh, reconnaissance. They don't just kind of walk into any church and blam away. They look for soft targets, like in Maine, uh, places that serve liquor or in a bowling alley, I think it's mainly just beer, but it's alcohol. And they say, okay, no one's armed there. Uh, the the, uh, the white, so-called white supremacist in Buffalo, uh, New York, uh, went into a grocery store. There was only one armed. It was a security guard there. He thought, oh, okay, one guy, I'm armed. Yeah, it's probably worth the risk. Usually... Even the fact there's one armed person would be enough to discourage any would be would be uh, mass shooter. And by the way, mass shooter. There's a I just just went online a few seconds ago before I started the show because I wanted to know the definition of a mass shooter. And there are several different groups that have different definitions. The definition that I thought was where three or more people are killed in the same location. And it could be at a party where someone gets drunk and shoots three people uh, or is high and shoots three people and kills three people. Uh, CNN has their own um, definition. That's where three or more people are either killed or injured. And so it depends on who's doing the. uh, But if you look at the country of over 300 million and look at mass shootings, oh, there's one every day. It's still a tiny percentage overall. The number of people are killed every weekend in Chicago are much larger than the people that are killed in these uh, uh, these mass shootings. But what's behind the mass shootings? These things were almost unheard of up until the 90s, early 90s. Uh, and I think the first school shooting, mass shooting, or it wasn't a, a girl, there was a woman, a young girl, and she, I don't know if she actually killed anybody. She might have injured some people. But that was the first school shooting. The, uh, the the deep state media, the left, they don't want to mention that with few exceptions, most of these shooters are under some type of psychotropic drug. Now, that should have a lot to say. Yeah, there's a lot of people that use psychotropic drugs and they don't kill anybody, they don't shoot anybody, but some of the side effects uh, lead to this. And therefore, should we look at the psychotropic drugs? Should we look at the widespread use, especially in schools? What happens uh, when 
uh, a young man goes into a school and because of the teaching method, he ends up being diagnosed as ADD or whatever newly created uh, ailment. What's the solution? Oh, it isn't to get him out of that school and maybe homeschool him. Or maybe uh, it could be the teaching methods. That, no, they drug him. They use dangerous behavior modification, behavior modifying drugs, and it's big business. And you better not speak against it or you're anti, you're a science denier. If you don't believe that these things are bad, they're a science denier, you see. So you can't, it's impossible to have a rational discussion with the left because they're not, they don't really care. I don't think, yeah, there might be some that are definitely sympathetic and but I don't think they really care about 18 people who got shot and dozens wounded. It's all about a power grab. And before even some of the loved ones are notified, they're all clamoring for more gun control, more gun control, more gun control. The same people who support attorney generals and prosecutors that uh, have a revolving door, no cash bail, let them uh, arrest them for violent crimes, and they're out in the street within two hours to commit more violent crimes. Happens to all these big cities. Um, and it's a story you don't, they don't want to be told. I think it was in Minneapolis, a man that was arrested during the Black Lives Matter Antifa uprising and insurrection and riots. And there was a, a bail program where uh, Kamala Harris, she was uh, support and raising money for this, uh, this bail place. And uh, so a guy was bailed out. And next thing you know, he murders somebody. Oh, but it's not Kamala Harris's fault. No, no, it's Trump's fault. It's the right wing's fault. It's the consp it's QAnon. They're responsible for that. No, it's you. You, you are part. You are you enabled that man to get out of prison, and the blood is on you. And then we have open borders, and we have thousands upon thousands of young men, military age men. They're not coming over there with families. They're not coming over there with little knapsacks fleeing uh, persecution. They're coming over here, and they're being put in cities and towns all over the country, and they're committing. Now, most of them aren't violent criminals, thank God, but some of them are. And one of those persons committing a crime, the blood is on the people making allowing this to happen. But you don't see the media, you don't see CNN pontificating about how terrible it is to have open borders because they like open borders and they really don't care about the victims of these um, of these crimes. Uh, but I, I like to report that I believe that we are we in the freedom movement are winning this the debate on the right to keep. I almost sec said Second Amendment, and I want to clarify that the Second Amendment was passed it was part of the original first 10 bill uh, amendments people had the right to keep and bear arms prior to the second amendment the second amendment only restricted congress so keep that in mind it and it's supposed to protect god-given rights that's the whole idea of government the purpose of government is to protect god-given rights that's a major function and that seems to be the last thing they do. When's the last time someone went? Well, it happens. I mean, we went to the Supreme Court, the federal court, when we, uh, when, uh, and sometimes it works. As a law professor of mine years ago said, in the United States, you have a chance at justice. He didn't say you would have it, but it used to have a chance. And he said, that's a lot more than you have in most countries. So, so sometimes they do their job, but most of the time they don't.
and they, uh, they, they become an instrument of tyranny, not an instrument of liberty and protecting liberties. And uh, ask, ask traditional Catholics what they think of the FBI. Ask parents who dare speak out against some of the filthy things that are going on in their government schools, the benevolence of the FBI. Ask um, uh, a few of some of Trump's, uh, some of Trump's uh, former aides, um, Roger Stone, when they invaded, when they, they uh, stormed in his house in the middle of the night, and CNN was there, though, with cameras. Hmm, the FBI tips off CNN. That this is all shock and awe. This is all used to, um, uh, you know, to uh, to uh, um, to intimidate. Uh, and he's, and it's totally. And there was this man. He uh, several years ago, there was an incident in front of an abortion mill where a pro-abortion had pushed his son or, or was harassing his son, and he just simply pushed him. He didn't punch him. He didn't beat him up. And even the local authorities said, no, no, nothing to see here. We're not charging him. Oh, but the federal government thought this was a horrible, there was a violation of some kind of federal law. And they stormed his house. And I think he had like 12 children drawing over a charge like this. Yeah. Meanwhile, the people that are uh, firebombing um, the um, crisis pregnancy centers and churches, eh, not too uh, the FBI is not too interested in um, arresting these people oh, because it was done at night. So we don't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a sad state of affairs, but again, I think that we are winning the second, uh, again, I said second amendment, the right to keep our arms debate because, Hey, if some crazy guy comes in with a, with an, with any weapon, it'd be nice to know there's a few armed people ready to fire back. Taking my gun isn't going to save, wouldn't have saved those 18 people. Anywhere wouldn't have saved the people in Florida, in Colorado, in Texas. No, no, taking my weapon and taking your weapon—that's not logical. And because there are laws against murder, doesn't prevent murder. Just laws against it. It might discourage some people. You no know, thinking. Well, if I get caught, I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life. Maybe, unless I meet up with a prosecutor in a big city where I probably get a suspended sentence if they ever even bother to investigate. So. Anyway, I want to change topics just a little bit. I, I, uh, I belong, of course, I'm on Facebook, like a lot of people are. I don't do much with Twitter. To me, it's uh, I, I can waste a lot too much time on there, especially when you comment with people like po- political officials. It's not really not really worth the time. So I'll I'll, I'll tweet uh, when we do a post a blog. I'll tweet it or exit now. I guess it's not Twitter anymore. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't have millions and millions and millions of follow. I might have a, a couple of hundred, um, but I do uh, get on Facebook and I do belong to a number of groups. And again, I don't spend lots of time on Facebook. Uh, usually when I'm on Facebook, I'm posting events. I'm posting uh, videos that we, we do in uh, our blog. I'll post a blog and when I'll, I'll, I'll write a blog and I'll post it on, uh, depending on the topic, I'll post it on as many Facebook pages that I can. In fact, Facebook used to encourage you to share, but then if you share too much, they'll block you for a month. So it doesn't make any sense. Why do they care if I share a story in a hundred? If they're all, if, as long as the administrators don't have an issue with it, why would they care? Let the administrators say, hey, we don't like this guy. And then, okay, I won't, I won't post anymore. So 
So anyway, there's a uh, there's a Facebook page in my town of Alton called Alton Uncensored, and it's mostly like-minded conservatives, but not exclusively. And I made reference. Somebody had posted something about climate change, saying that it's um, it's fraudulent. And I went on and I said, I referred to it as the climate change hoax. And an irate person who actually lives down the road from me, I've never met him or not. Uh, he said something to the effect, if you still, if you believe that climate change is a hoax, you're a blank, you know, he's, you're a fool or a damn fool or something like that. Well, I know that I don't need to, this guy's sort of a bully when you call people that, um, uh, so what I did was I just went back. I says, no, I'm not a, I said, I'm a realist. And what I did, uh, I posted an interview I did with John Coleman back, I think in 2009 or 2010, John Coleman was the founder of the weather channel. He was a meteorologist and he since passed and he made a speech at this climate change conference in Manhattan, which I attended with media credentials and so I did a little interview about four or five minutes. I says, why do you call it a hoax? And he went on to to back up his contention that it was a hoax. And so I thought, hey, if I'm a fool, I'm in good standing. So that prompted me. I said, you know, I'm going to write a, I'd write a weekly column for the Weir's Times, W-E-I-R-S Times. You can actually, um, they have a website where they don't post news every day, but they archive the newspaper. It's a weekly newspaper. So I think it's just a weirstimes.com. And you could, uh, it was uh, last week's issue where my article appeared about, you know, about, uh, I, I was going to say, am I, am I a fool for uh, saying climate change is a hoax? But I really wanted people to read sometimes and say, eh. so I entitled the article uh, resources for, uh, for the climate change, um, climate change realist or something like that. And so I mentioned that, you know, I'm, I'm almost 65 years of age. And I remember the first time there was an environmental concern was global cooling. My eighth grade science teacher, and uh, you can actually go on uh, go on to Google Images or wherever you get your famous images, and you could see uh, front page stories of not front page stories, but articles about the uh, CO two in the atmosphere is leading to. Uh, cooling and we may end up having permanent winters there'd be massive starvation and so forth and so on um now it's global and that was my first experience i don't remember losing any sleep over it um for some reason it wasn't i guess because you didn't have social media in those days all you had was two three channels and a newspaper and a magazine uh you didn't have uh 24 7 uh news news feeds which uh, and you didn't have uh, you didn't have that in the classrooms, but it wasn't as widespread as it is today. But then, then I remember, of course, it was the population bomb that too many people would lead to massive starvation. And there was a book called the, the Population Bomb by Paul Ehrlich, nineteen sixty eight, and uh, he said he predicted by the mid seventies the seas would be dead. Uh, that's not true. The seas aren't dead. There are still fish in the seas, and in some cases, the fish stocks have have increased rapidly. Um, this issue is no problem. Obviously, there's always going to be problems, and uh, but good science uh, so solves some problems. Good, uh, good, good. Um, what's the right word? I was going to use the word husbandry, but that's more of a farming term. But uh, wise use, I think that's the best term. Wise use of the uh, of the fisheries, 
Um, in fact, in New England, it was the Soviets that depleted most of our stock. It wasn't because of pollution. It was because of overfishing by foreigners that had no interest in our fisheries. Um, but Paul uh, was wrong, and he's still, I think he's still around, and he's still regarded as, uh, as a viable a viable source. You know, they criticize a lot of uh, evangelists who are predicting when Jesus will return to the end of the world. A lot of them look kind of silly, but not as silly as these people. Uh, so, so the population bomb was one. And I actually heard a statistic where you can put the whole world's population in Texas and still have uh, have room to grow food and so forth. And the bottom line is we don't have too many people. We have too much government uh, restricting people, restricting freedoms and restricting the ability to grow food and do a lot of other great things. And thankfully, uh, because of the technologies, advancement in technology, we're able to grow a lot more food on a lot less land and feed a whole lot more people than we ever have before. But the left, they just hate to see too many people. Um, and they've been pushing population control for many, many years. But it's another fraud. And the other fraud that was the um, um, ozone, it was ozone hole, that we're all going to die of cancer because um, in the wintertime, there was a big hole over the Arctic or the Antarctic. But you need sunlight to make ozone. And if there is too much, uh, there's no sunlight, there's no ozone, and you have a hole. But then the hole repairs itself when the sun comes out. And well, I'm using a timer because I don't want to be over 29 minutes and 30 seconds. So we got a little bit of time left. So uh, you can re you can read my article if you're interested on the Where's Times, uh, Where'sTimes.com, or um, yeah, it's a, it's a business. So. Uh, you can download that and get a kick out of it. So anyway, uh, thank you for listening. You've been uh, listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you.